the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Michigan's new political maps mean some huge shakeups for incumbents running for re-election. Congressman Andy Levin joins the show to talk about his primary against fellow Democratic incumbent Haley Stevens. And we'll talk about the state of union organizing in Michigan and across the country as workers try to cement lasting power through collective action. That's all next on Detroit Today, right after the news. Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today, who's taking some much-deserved time off. A little later in the program, we'll be talking about the state of organized labor here in Michigan and across the country. Workers arguably have more power at this moment than just about any other time I can think of in my lifetime amid increasing demand for labor. And with that, we're seeing efforts locally and nationally to unionize. I'll talk with a local organizer trying to organize workers at a Starbucks shop in Ann Arbor. But first, I want to welcome someone else who has spent a lot of time in his life working in the world of organized labor and continues that work in Congress today. Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township representing Michigan's 9th District. Uh, you know, he is running for re-election, as you might know, in Michigan's new 11th Congressional District. That puts him against fellow incumbent Democrat Congresswoman Haley Stevens, who will join me here on the show tomorrow at the same time. You don't want to miss that. But Congressman Levin joins me now to talk about this bid for another term in Congress and more. Congressman Levin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, Jake, it's great to be with you. And I have to say, I was just at a Starbucks in Clinton Township recently where the workers are unionizing, and it was amazing to meet with them and their energy was infectious, and I think this really is an incredible moment. Yeah, and I, I, I want to talk a lot about organized labor and unionization efforts in, in just a little bit. Um, I do want to start off, though, by by talking about your re-election bid. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to ask about these new district lines. Uh, you're losing a sizable chunk of your district, especially uh, in the eastern portion of your current district in Macomb County. I'm curious what you make of the way that the redistricting commission drew these lines. Well, you know, Jake, uh, we members of Congress don't get to draw the lines, right? We just go before the people and and seek their their votes. And we all Michiganders chose to create this new citizen commission in the voters, not politician referendum in 2018, right? So they drew these lines. They didn't pick my favorite map. You know, they had a different map that would have kept my Southeast Oakland and Southern Macomb areas that I represent intact much more than this. But they chose what they chose, and the new 11th is where I live. It's where Mary and I have lived for 16 years here in Bloomfield Township. It's where I grew up in Berkeley. It's where even my great-grandparents immigrated to this country and and started out in, in the little country town of Birmingham, Michigan. They were the first Jewish family there in the 1890s. So... You know, the the way they drew the maps, they totally separated out everything I currently represent in Oakland from the parts I represent in Macomb. So I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm going to run where I live and I'm very excited about the new 11th district. And I, I'm sure we'll have a great candidate in the 11th. And there's a lot of, in, I mean, in the 10th, and there's a lot of interesting opportunities like over in the new third district where I think uh, Hillary Scolton has a great chance to win in the new third, which voted for Joe Biden by eight points. So it's interesting. It's a lot of change. I know that this question has become more and more politically charged in recent weeks, but I, I'm asking this in a really honest uh, way because this, this was genuinely my first reaction when I saw the congressional map. I thought that, um, you know, there there might be 
uh, a chance that you would decide to run in the new 10th congressional district, which is centered in uh, southern Macomb County. Again, that part of the district that you're losing. Uh, Democrats uh, don't have an incumbent there right now or even sort of a well-known candidate, anyone that really um, comes to mind as a as a really clear front runner for that. Um, I know that there are some political watchers who think that you could have held that swing district for Democrats. It's pretty 50-50 there in that, in that new district. Um, did you give any serious consideration to running in the 10th? Well, we looked at all of it uh, very carefully, Jake. And, you know, the, the new 10th, we're going to try to uh, field a great candidate there and, and do well. It adds, um, uh, it adds a lot of areas north of Hall Road uh, that I didn't represent before um, and areas over like all of Harrison Township over on the lake. It adds um, uh, Utica, some Macomb Township, all of Shelby Township. Um, the northern third of Sterling Heights. So it's a it's a rather different district um, than the one I, I currently represent. And it's now, I think, a 90% Macomb district. Um, so rather than the kind of uh, one-third, two-thirds that I represent now. So it just, th- this is what really seems like it makes the most sense. And I'm, you know, I'm really, there are a lot of people, I think I've talked to every person who's thinking about running in the new 10th. And, um, you know, we're going to find a great candidate and I'll support them fully. You know, Congresswoman Stevens said this to Fox 2 last month. She said, quote, I couldn't imagine abandoning over 70 percent of my current constituents in an open and winnable congressional seat to primary a fellow Democrat. She was referring to you uh, and your decision to run in the new 11th district. I want to know what your what, what is your reaction to that statement? I just think that the, it's up to the voters to pick the, the elected officials and not the other way around. Nobody is owed a seat in Congress. Um, nobody um, deserves anything. You know, we we work hard. We need to work hard and earn the trust of the voters. And I'm running on my record of accomplishment in in Congress. I mean, just in the two weeks before we left uh, in this current district work period, um, I, I passed a major amendment to the America Competes Act to allow uh, unemployed workers and students to use Pell Grants for short-term training that they need to get jobs employers want to fill right now. And I introduced my uh, Protect Children Through Safe Gun Ownership Act with the support of all the major gun groups and the National Education Association and the American Federation of Teachers. And I introduced the resolution to allow our employees in the house to unionize. I mean, that. so I think that I'm just running on really my being a really serious, effective, progressive member of Congress. And it's up to the to the voters to pick. And this, you know, Jake, you're a, a, a junkie of, of politics <laughs> in Michigan. Yeah, Every 10 years, unfortunately, we've lost at least one seat and we've had really every 10 years, one of these situations, and I never thought I'd be in one, but you know, you had, um, you had uh, Gary Peters and Hanson Clark, you had John Dingle and and Lynn Rivers, you had um, uh, Dale Kildee and Jim Barsha, right? I mean, that's some examples of of these primaries that have happened when districts were mashed about. And it's, um, Oh, it's really uncomfortable, but I'm I'm very excited to be running in the new 11th, and it just feels like the right thing. Should also mention too. I mean, you you have a family in the 11th. You live in the 11th. Um, you know that from a just a human perspective too. I mean, it's it's no small thing to think about. You know, picking up your entire family where you have teenage kids and move them somewhere else where you right. they haven't grown I, up. I have a daughter in high school and I'm, you know, want to help her finish her high school. And the, you know, if they had done the maps the other way, I would have been able to, you know, continue to, to have her be in the high, in the same high school, but even if I had to move. So it's just, it's personal and it's a question of uh, what's a great fit. Where do you belong? Um, the, I, my kids are the fifth generation of my family to live in the new 11th district. Um, I represent so many communities in the new 11th district. You know, Hazel Park, Madison Heights, Ferndale, Pleasant Ridge, Huntington Woods, Berkeley, Royal Oak, part of Clawson, all across to Bloomfield Township where I live. So 
Um, you know, I'm excited about the new district and I'm super excited about the new areas that I haven't represented. But, you know, throughout my life, Jake, I've done so much. So, for example, I organized a nursing home in Farmington Hills in 1984 um, to help the workers there join SEIU. Um, and I helped many communities in the new uh, district uh, join my Lean and Green Michigan program when I created that um, in, you know, in the years before I, I joined Congress. And so many workers throughout this area uh, benefited from No Worker Left Behind. In fact, I worked with Oakland County Michigan Works when Chrysler was going through its bankruptcy, and we set up a whole special program. Uh, for Chrysler workers who were separating from Chrysler because of that bankruptcy to help them get new training and new opportunities. So, you know, I've been working in this new 11th district uh, really throughout my whole lifetime, and I'm just very excited about uh, representing it. You're listening to 1019 WDET. This is Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson. Today, I'm talking with Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township representing Michigan's 9th district, running for re-election in Michigan's new 11th congressional district. We're talking about that race, and in a little bit, we will talk about unionization in Michigan across the country in 2022, and whether there is momentum uh, picking up for the idea of organized labor, especially on among a new generation of workers. Um, and if you have things that you want to contribute to the conversation, we would love to hear from you today. What questions do you have for Congressman Andy Levin about this bid for re-election in the new 11th Congressional District? What do you think? What do you make of this primary between him and fellow Democratic incumbent Haley Stevens, who's going to be joining the show tomorrow here on 1019 WDET? And what do you think of these new district lines? Do you think that the Redistricting Commission did a good job with these? Do you think they kept the right communities together, uh, both in Congress and here in the state legislature here in Michigan. Uh, call us up, 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter, and we'll try to work those into the conversations as well. Again, the number is 313-577-1019. And Congressman Levin, I you did talk a little bit about what you're running on here. I do want to ask you, can you offer a specific example or more than one specific example of where you see you and Congresswoman Stevens significantly disagreeing on a policy issue? Is there a significant policy difference in sort of where the two of you stand when voters make that choice at the ballot box? There are a lot of uh, differences. I mean, we're, you know, we're both good Democrats, but I'm an original co-sponsor of Medicare for All, and I believe healthcare is a human right for everybody. Um, she has not supported that. I am uh, an original co-sponsor of the Green New Deal, and she has not supported that. Not only that, I'm one of several members of not very many who supported all the Green New Deal bills. And I've authored multiple pieces of uh, serious climate change legislation. We've talked about my EV Freedom Act, and I'm really proud that, that President Biden included significant amount of funding, $7.5 billion, to get EV charging infrastructure off the ground, which is what that bill is about. But I also authored the Build Green Act and, and the Buy Green Act with Senator Warren um, and the uh, American Energy Workers Opportunity Act with Senator Sherrod Brown. So I just think there's a record of accomplishment and seriousness on that, um, you know, that's very significant. And then the, the, it's not really so much about voting record is about our my work in Congress to support workers, workers' freedom to form unions my leadership on the PRO Act being chosen by uh, Speaker Pelosi to give the weekly address uh, when we passed that bill, being asked by Chairman Bobby Scott to refute all the Republican amendments seeking to weaken it and to give the big floor speech on it. And really my advocacy for workers almost every month uh, in my life in Congress, uh, supporting workers who are bar organizing, bargaining, on strike, uh, whether they're, it was a GM workers uh, with UAW or UAW workers at Harvard, Harvard University, the graduate employees. I got all the Harvard alumni in Congress to, or many of them to <laughs> send a letter to President Larry Bacow of Harvard. And I had talked to him on the phone multiple times until 
they got recognition. I led a delegation to Bessemer, Alabama when the Amazon workers were on strike. So that's another, um, you know, another big difference. And, you know, I've passed significant legislation on environmental matters. I, both the previous president and President Biden have signed my legislation to uh, clean up PFAS and prevent harmful incineration of it. So I think there are differences of, of, of accomplishment and of emphasis. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm just a clear uh, progressive who's going to do what I think is right. And uh, regardless of the consequences, I've spoken up for human rights around the world, and I'm going to continue to do that. Let's go to the phones. I want to hear from Semi in Detroit. Semi, you're on Detroit Today. What do you have to say? Hello? Semi? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What would you like to say today? I wanted to say good morning and thank you very much for the opportunity. I wanted to uh, suggest that we don't jump to conclusions about the redistrict uh, mapping committee. Give them some time. It looks like they are doing their best, at least for now. And it's going to be reshaping the whole political map for the state of Michigan um, in reference to the people's decision back in days. So let them give them the time and do not jump to conclusions. And for uh, Congressman Delevin, uh, I'm uh, one of your constituents. I am Sami Hadi, and I'm very proud of the work you are, you are doing. And um, I believe that you did a good uh, service for the uh, whole state of Michigan in the previous term. And I wish you a good luck for the new term. And I'm happy to see you again in the second meeting today. All right. Yeah. Semi, I really appreciate that. Uh, really appreciate you calling in. Uh, I will say uh, that the redistricting maps, if I'm if I'm hearing you right there, uh, Semi, Semi um, that the uh, the redistricting maps are finalized now. What we are waiting for is these uh, legal challenges to make their way uh, through the process. Uh, so far, nothing has uh, stuck in a, uh, at least one major case has been thrown out. But I think it is, you know, as soon as those maps were were finalized, I think uh, it was pretty quick. Uh, we saw sort of the dominoes fall from there about who was running where. Uh, but thank you very much for that. I, I appreciate that, Sammy. Well, well uh, Jake, let me say, I do think Sammy may have a point in that. I think it's going to be hard for us to evaluate the, the work the commission has done until the election's over. Right. <laughs> you know? That is so true. In that way, I think, I think the way history will judge the work of this commission will be you know, after we go through this first time around. And so we'll have a lot of interesting talk then about, you know, what the new maps really meant for in the state House, state Senate and Congress. Right. So that is true. Yeah. No, we, we've seen many think pieces about what this could mean for political representation in Michigan. Uh, all very interesting work being done by the people who've been following this closely and following Michigan politics. But you're right we really will not have a sense of what it really means uh, in terms of, of who gets elected, especially in a midterm election. It's kind of a wild card, I would say, this year. Um, I want to take Jim in Charleston, South Carolina. Jim, good to hear from you in Charleston. What would you like to say? Hey, good morning, Congressman. Um, I understand you're not the governor of Michigan, but you know, are you satisfied with the decline in population? I grew up in Detroit, uh, after graduate school, I moved to Washington, D.C., and then South Carolina. Year after year, I just see more industry, more jobs, more people, more tangential industries moving to the southeast. And I see, you know, in my beloved Rust Belt, a continued decline. What, what are you satisfied with the, the transfer of population from the Midwest to the southeast? What would you do to change it? What do you think about it? Um, so I, I look forward and appreciate your comments. Yeah, Jim, thank you for that. Uh, uh, Congressman Levin. Yeah, well, thanks, Jake. You know, Jim, I think that uh, for one thing, Michigan, just to be clear, we actually grew super slightly, but we were, you know, compared to the other states, uh, we're not growing nearly as fast as states in the Southeast and, and South Southwest. And so some of them have picked up seats. S states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio, you know, have been losing uh, our share of the population. I, I think a lot of it is because we've allowed our country to be industrialized. I'm a fierce opponent of the trade policy that we've had over Democratic as well as Republican presidents that have allowed companies to offshore our jobs, to shutter factories here. 
We've lost so much of our manufacturing base. It's not inevitable. It's not like a natural phenomenon of globalization or technology change because Germany, which has higher labor costs than the United States and higher levels of unionization, gets about twice as much of its GDP for manufacturing as the US does. So don't tell me it's not possible. The other thing I'd say, Jim, is I think we have a real chance to reverse this trend, not only by with President Biden's leadership and others bringing manufacturing back to this country, like we just did in the America Competes Act, uh, to bring microchip production and much else back here. We saw during the pandemic, we for, for our security, we need to make medicines and, and supplies here and so forth. But also, I'm afraid to say that climate change is uh, the accelerating effects of it uh, will continue to make a place like Michigan look more and more attractive <laughs> to people um, where because our, our weather is um, more moderate and we have a lot of access to fresh water and it's just a great place to be, um, you know, in that in that sense as well. All right. Coming up on Detroit Today, we're going to continue this conversation with Congressman Andy Levin, and we'll talk about new organized labor efforts, including his bill to allow congressional staff members to unionize. We're also going to keep going on the phones here. Give us a call if you have something to add, 313-577-1019, and we'll get to you next. Mark in Redford Township, Anthony in Southwest Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township representing Michigan's 9th District. Currently, he is now running for re election in Michigan's new 11th Congressional District, and he is going head to head with a fellow incumbent Democrat, Haley Stevens, uh, who is going to be joining us on the, the show tomorrow uh, talking about the same subject. So you want to come back and listen to that again, same time, same place tomorrow. Um, and uh, Congressman Levin, uh, you know, I wanted to really quick before we get into unions in labor, I, I did really quickly uh, want to ask you about a bill that you recently um, introduced in Congress. Uh, your safe safe storage firearms legislation um, that was a response to the Oxford school shooting. Tell us what that would do, and uh, do you expect a vote in the House on that legislation? Yes, um, it's the Protect Children Through Safe Gun Ownership Act, and I'm I'm really excited about this bill. I mean, it's just I cannot stand while we have a mass shooting like we had at Oxford High School. But the drip, drip of gun violence every single day in this country and the way it affects kids. And but after Oxford, there was one focal point, parental responsibility. So I authored this bill um, to do three things. It's very straightforward and the provisions of it are, are popular with Democrats, independents, Republicans, everybody. First, it places a limit on transfer and use of handguns in particular, because there's special rules about handguns, uh, places the uh, limits on transferring handguns to minor minors or their use of them. Basically, it requires parents or guardians uh, to uh, say that they will actually supervise a juvenile or have another appropriate adult supervise them while they have a handgun before they can transfer it to them. Uh, believe it or not, that's not at all required right now. It's not about hunting rifles or, you know, it's about handguns. Second, it includes a secure gun storage requirement and allows victims or their family to sue if there's a death or physical harm resulting from a firearm not being properly stored. Um, we do not have a national safe storage law. So that's a key, key part. And third, it creates a grant program through the Department of Education so eligible school districts can offer parents best practices and education about keeping guns away from kids 
and guidance on how to teach age appropriate gun safety. So that's the bill. You know, I'm a father for Jake and th th these school shootings get a lot of attention and they're so horrifying and the, and the, the, the trauma from them will go on for years in the families, in the students who witnessed it or lost friends. But that's a tiny fraction of the problem. Accidents in homes among kids who get access to guns. Uh, gun violence on streets among kids, you know, minors who got access to a gun in a house. And above all, youth suicides, which is the majority of all of these deaths from guns that are that, that kids get their hands on. So it's really a simple bill and um, I'm, I'm really uh, pushing it forward. I can't tell you when it might have a vote, but we're in really serious discussions about putting together some of the measures that we've authored to move forward. And of course, we've already passed two pieces of sensible gun reform through the House and the Senate is sitting on them. So we got to get rid of the filibuster to move any of this through the through the Senate. And, and, and do you sense, though, that there is any real urgency on the part of leadership right now to move bills like this uh, right now, especially after what we saw in Oxford? I do. I think our leadership in the House is very, very committed to the to moving uh, sensible gun reform. It's true in the Senate as well. Um, and, you know, these it, it's really not about the American people or whether the American people support these things. Things like uh, safe gun storage or, you know, we already passed universal background checks in the House. These things are supported by, you know, 80, 90 percent of the American people, including people of all parties and no party. It's just that there's one political party that's captured by the, the gun lobby and they can filibuster things and prevent them from moving forward. So we're going to keep pushing in the House and we'll keep pushing on the Senate to do a lot more business than they currently do because they're stuck with requiring a supermajority to pass just about anything, which is something the founding fathers did not want to see. Another bill that you've introduced recently, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, uh, would allow congressional staffers to unionize. Yeah. Um, why is that important to you? And, and what would that look like in a place like Congress? Well, Jake, you know, you talk about my current race. I mean, of all the members of Congress, the staff came to me and said, you have to introduce this because I'm the union organizer in the Congress. And they trust me to not make this be about me or about the members of Congress, but it's about them. And the reason it's so important to me, Jake, is that it's a fundamental human right to be able to organize and bargain collectively. It's it's, I consider it part of our constitution. It's, it's freedom of association at work. And yet for 26 years, the Congress did not give this right to our own staff in our personal offices in our districts and in DC or to the staff of the committees that we work with. 26 years ago, this right was given to the other people who work on the Hill, like the Library of Congress and the Capitol Police and the architect of the Capitol. And many of those workers formed unions and they all have collective bargaining agreements. But we never afforded that right to our own staff. So I insisted on it. I'm really proud that I have 150 co-sponsors now, maybe more for this bill. And I'm really grateful that uh, the Zoe Lofgren, the chairwoman of the, of, uh, the House Administration Committee, announced that she's gotten the feedback she wanted from the Office of Congressional Workplace Rights, and she's going to hold a hearing on it. And so we're pushing for passing this as just as soon as we can. I assume this might be another one of those where the filibuster could get in the way if it gets out of the House into the Senate. Is that right? Oh, no, actually, Jay. Ah. Uh, so each chamber is free to pass This is these rules for themselves, for right. their own chamber. Right. So... The House can pass this, and then it would take effect for House staff. And my friend I mentioned earlier, Sherrod Brown, who kind of plays a role with, with workers and organized labor in the Senate, like I do in the House, um, he has said he's going to introduce something for Senate staff, and that'll be a question of them passing it over there. You could see a situation where House staff have this fundamental right to form a union and bargain collectively, and Senate staff don't. Mm -hmm. So we shall see. <laughs> 
That'd be interesting, right? Yeah, that would be interesting. You know, there are there are some critics of this idea uh, who have said that Democratic lawmakers, specifically Democratic lawmakers, are already too influenced by the quote, and I'm quoting here, unrepresentative interests and values of staff, and that if they're allowed to unionize, the problem would only get worse. Those are the words used by uh, blogger and podcaster Josh Barrow. I think I'm saying that correctly. I'm curious what your response is to that. I've seen a couple of people make arguments that are similar to that, that staffers are pushing Democratic lawmakers away from, you know, kind of small d Democratic values or issues. I think it's nonsense, Jake. I mean, <laughs> if you if you look at what the workers are talking about, uh, they're talking about they they don't want to have race racial discrimination at work. They don't want to have uh, super long hours. They don't want to have uh, mistreatment. Um, the issues they're talking about are the kind of issues that workers anywhere talk about. They want to have dignity in the workplace. They want to have a decent life. And people who work in Congress deserve it, just like all workers do. You know, I just don't, I, I don't think you can uh, say that there that workers shouldn't have the freedom to to form unions and bargain collectively. It's really not about them having more influence over us and like the policy making we're doing. It's about them having some influence over their own work lives, <laughs> and everybody deserves that. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Congressman Andy Levin, a Democrat from Bloomfield Township representing Michigan's 9th District, also running for re-election in Michigan's new 11th Congressional District. I want to go back to the phones on an issue that we've been talking a lot here on the show about. Uh, Mark, in Redford Township, uh, you're on Detroit Today. What would you like to say? Good morning, Jacob. Hi. Good morning, Congressman Levin. Um, my comment and question is a tag to the previous uh, topic on redistricting. And in consideration of that, I was wondering if, um, if um, public transit is going to be addressed and funding for it, because this is also a tag on to uh, labor issues as well, because people are disenfranchised if they can't get to labor uh, locations and uh, sustain themselves. And public transit, I think, is so much a part of that. Yeah, Mark, I really appreciate this comment. Uh, thanks for the call, uh, Congressman Levin. Talk about public transit and uh, and and the and what is what Mark is uh, getting at there. Well, Mark, it's such a good point. I totally agree with you. I would say of of Metro Detroit's liabilities, and and people were even talking about population growth earlier. Uh, you, you know, we cannot achieve our full potential as a region until and unless we have something we have not had for generations, a robust public transit system. It's for seniors to be able to get to a doctor. It's for students to be able to get to, you know, college or community college. Um, you know, in some cities, students even use it to go to high school. And, uh, and, and even in Detroit, they, they do and should be able to. And of course, it's about people being able to get to work. You're so right about that. And it's to our shame that we don't have a regional transit system. We should have passed it several years ago when we came pl- close. We cannot give up. We have to have uh, accessible transit, affordable transit throughout the region. Uh, and you know, I'm a big fan of bus rapid transit, BRT, uh, we could we could have dedicated bus lines with very frequent buses rushing up and down our major corridors and then links to those on, you know, smaller uh, corridors. Uh, that's it creates great union jobs for for the people who work in the transit system and it helps everybody else uh, get to work and just live their lives. People can go out and party and not worry about driving home. I mean, there's it really affects all aspects of life and we'd be a much richer and uh, region uh, if we had a great transit system. And Congressman Levin, I know we have to let you go, but there was a really big development related to this just this week. And we actually, someone who was on the show talking about this earlier this week, Dave Gifford, uh, who's a transit advocate locally, uh, wanted you to hear what you had to say about Auburn Hills 
opting out of SMART this week, uh, which he says will cut off access to those 1,700 new GM jobs in Orion Township and Great Lakes Crossing. What is in the works to end opt-outs and get transit better funding? Uh, he says EVs are great, but they're not very affordable. Uh, what, what was your reaction when you saw that, Congressman Levin? Yeah, no, I was very disappointed by that. I mean, I, I think that we need uh, a, a region-wide system that meets the needs of our communities and that where you don't have individual communities opting in or out. There's You cannot have a patchwork system uh, and, and have a good, you know, a real good transit system. You've got to have it reach uh, everywhere so people can you know, that's, that's the definition of a market, right? You can't have an open labor market if people can't get to jobs. Uh, you can't have a healthcare market if people can't get to, to health facilities and hospitals. So we really need to encourage everybody to stay in the system we have and to imagine a much more effective and broad system. Uh, you know, I don't really think it's about EVs. EVs are going to replace internal combustion engines because we have to save our planet. But I totally agree that we have to have transit accessible. And by the way, Jake, we have to have, this is my Build Green Act with Senator Warren, we've got to electrify all of transit, school buses, city buses, uh, you know, trains, uh, city fleets, everything needs to go electric so we can uh, eliminate our, our, our fossil fuel emissions as, as quickly as possible. Uh, so there's a lot of work to do and um, Congress has a big role to play in it. We've got to move much more aggressively on climate change, and we've got to support regions like Detroit in having uh, great transit systems. Okay, Congressman Andy Levin, Democrat from Bloomfield Township, representing Michigan's 9th District. Really appreciate you joining me here on Detroit today. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Jake. Great job. I'll talk to you soon. Coming up on Detroit Today, we'll talk with a Starbucks employee in Ann Arbor who is in the midst of a fight to create a union at his respective location, part of a much larger effort among many places, especially coffee shops here in southeast Michigan, to unionize. We will hear what he has to say about that effort and whether it represents something bigger here in Michigan or across the country. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. The union movement is at an interesting point in this country. On one hand, overall union membership has been declining for decades and was at its lowest point last year. On the other hand, there's a lot of energy, particularly among young people, to create unions and collectively bargain for more power and higher wages in the workplace. After Starbucks workers in Buffalo, New York, successfully voted to unionize, other coffee workers in Michigan have been following their lead. A Detroit coffee shop, Great Lakes Roasting, has now moved toward unionization right down the street from here at WDET. And other Starbucks workers at locations across Michigan have been trying to do the same. I want to welcome one organizer to the show who is part of these efforts. Bennett Pregler is an employee at a Starbucks location in Ann Arbor, and he joins me now to talk about his ongoing fight to create a union at his shop and how that fits into this larger movement to empower workers through collective action and organizing. Bennett Pregler, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Jake. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So how did the move to unionize at the Jackson and Zeeb Starbucks begin? How do, what is the, the genesis of this? So the genesis of the movement at Jackson and Zeeb really also stems for the other four stores in Ann Arbor. Uh, there was a time at the end of last year, it was around October, that all the shifts we were working were just particularly bad and they were getting worse. Uh, so after one particularly bad shift, I got home and I sent an email to the organizers in Buffalo and they put me in contact with everyone that I needed to. And then over the course from the end of October until the beginning of January, we went and organized five stores in our district. So what are your specific demands here? So a lot of people, we're asking for better compensation for the work that we do uh, because typically 
uh, with the standard drink that people order, our wage is paid within probably less than a minute. Uh, and then we're also asking for better partner safety uh, because with all of the COVID rules, uh, they keep changing and Starbucks hasn't been exactly clear. And we just want a better say in what happens in our store, whether that's with the mobile ordering system or store hours or how we're how things are operating in the store. Starbucks claims to have a partnership right now, which is why they call all of their employees partners. But that's something that we're not feeling, and we feel like a union is the only way that we can get that. And and I'm curious, so you mentioned this a little bit, but talk a little bit more about how this all ties in with the pandemic and, uh, you know, what what a lot of workers are saying are empty promises that the companies are giving them. Yeah, so I've only worked for Starbucks during the pandemic. I started Mm -hmm. in August of 2020. But I know right at the beginning of the pandemic, they had offered uh, hazard pay to the people who were willing to work. Uh, But that ended probably a month into the pandemic, and then it dropped back down to the the normal rate of pay. Uh, And for the beginning of the pandemic, up until only a couple months ago, you were only allowed two paid isolations, like full stop. Uh, They recently changed it. I'm not entirely sure what the rules are now, but I believe we at least get one or two paid isolations for when we're exposed to COVID. But that's the other thing. The rules keep changing on whether you're allowed to work or not based on if you test positive or if you're just in contact with somebody. And it's putting partners at risk and it makes us all feel unsafe at work. So when you when you explained this idea to your coworkers and the demands that you just outlined, what was the first reaction? I mean, it, it seems like especially uh, in, a, in a setting like that, you, you might be kind of going out on a limb right, <laughs> to, to see how, what, yeah. what the reception is. But what, what, were, what were the reactions that you got and, and what, were the, what was sort of the full range of reactions that you heard back? There certainly were a lot of reactions from different partners in my store. We have people who obviously just started and then we have another partner who's been there for 11 years and everyone in between. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of people were in the same boat that I were. They were getting fed up with their working conditions. There were a couple of people at my store who were about to quit. Uh, but then once we started building this campaign and they also realized that there was movement not only around the country, but within Ann Arbor and Michigan as well, they started to get more on board with the idea and people are starting to have better reactions to it. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Bennett Pregler, uh, an employee at the Starbucks at Jackson and Zeeb in Ann Arbor. He's organizing the Starbucks Workers United with the assistance from SEIU over there. We're talking about that effort and how it fits into sort of this bigger question about what is the state of organized labor in 2022. You know, overall, the numbers seem to be down, but we have been hearing a lot in the news about sort of more energy around the idea of cementing this power, real or sort of um, real or um, hopeful that workers have right now after the pandemic and amid this labor shortage into something that is finite, something that can be tangible um, in in the form of collective bargaining. And if you want to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you today. Do you support unions? What do you think are the benefits of workers unionizing? Do you wish there were unions in more sectors of economic life? Um, And have you participated in them in the past? Do you have concerns about unions, especially in terms of how they've operated in in the past and even in the recent past? Um, And, you know, we want to know if you are someone who feels like unions uh, have sort of a a mix, uh, if if you have a mixed emotions about all this as well. So give us a call. The number is 313-577-1019. Again, it's 313-577-1019. Also, do you think that workers have more power now amid this labor shortage that everyone seems to be talking about. Do you think that this is a moment for something like this? Again, 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter. We will see that. We will try to work your comments into the conversation there as well. And uh, Bennett, I, I want to talk to ask you about uh, sort of where you do see this fitting into something bigger 
you know, again, like I mentioned, we've been seeing news stories about especially a lot of other coffee shops, uh, which is interesting that coffee shops seem to be <laughs> the lead uh, that we're hearing so much about right now, but also in in places like uh, Amazon uh, facilities and, and other uh, places where workers have spoken out about conditions and especially conditions they feel like are really unfair to them. Um, do you see this as an opportunity for a bigger collective action among workers? And, and what do you think is driving that? Absolutely. I definitely believe that this resurgence of the labor movement is only just the beginning. Starbucks, we tried to form a union several years ago. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't happen. Uh, but then finally, with the pandemic and workers realizing that we're worth more than what the company is giving us, it's made us realize that, oh, we can do, we can form this union and we can finally have a say. Uh, and I definitely believe that that is something that's going to going to ripple out into other industries and particularly coffee shops. Our bosses continually say, oh, it's just such a lovely place to work here. And Starbucks honestly doesn't pay that poorly, but it's still not a livable wage in Ann Arbor that I'm getting paid. Uh, so I can understand why it, it's taken off in, in coffee shops and especially in Starbucks. I believe that the reason this has gone so well within Starbucks is because every store that has a drive through or is like an independent store is owned by one corporation. So we've been able to use the same strategies as we're moving across the country, hmm. which has made it really easy. We should also uh, mention, by the way, before we go any farther, and I forget uh, that we did we did reach out to Starbucks for comment on this. They did not take us up on that. Not not uh, incredibly surprised by that, but it is true. Uh, and and Bennett, I, again, you know, ha, what have you have you heard anything from from your employer or from the corporation about what you what you have to say? What has their reaction been? Yeah. So in terms of a, a corporate response, I haven't heard anything. I, I was personally the one that sent our email to Kevin Johnson. We didn't hear anything back from them. Uh, and then in terms of like even corporate people or our district manager coming in to chat with us, uh, we've only had one one-on-one conversation with our district manager. Uh, and though she wasn't explicitly asking about union things, she was like, how can we improve your store? Which has been their, a lot of their strategy is just trying to mm. fix things to coerce us out of the union. Sure, sure. Uh, I want to go to the phones here. Uh, John in Detroit. Uh, welcome to Detroit Today. What would you like to say? Hi there. Well, uh, listen, I'm a union supporter, and, and I've been a union uh, president uh, at the Newspaper Guild of Detroit. Mm. But um, the, the, the key thing is to get a contract. I'm really glad to see this rising interest in, in unions. Uh, but we have to understand that, that, that you know, campaigns, um, getting to a vote, even doing collective bargaining – that it's only when you get a signed contract that's the ultimate goal, because otherwise companies can just crush workers, um, uh, you know, either smoothly or viciously. Um, but it's the contract that's the ultimate goal. So I wish these guys a lot of luck. Uh, but that's you know that's that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, John, I, I really appreciate this call and this perspective. Uh, it, would you mind just talking just a little bit more about what kinds of of challenges uh, you know you face, especially at the guild, and 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 what that means? Um, you know, you know, it is one thing to 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 go out on the picket line; it is another thing to to finish that whole process. Talk talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Well, the newspaper guild has been really successful in the last couple of years at at organizing newsrooms around the country especially at smaller and mid-sized uh, newspapers around the country. Um, but none of those places um, uh, have contracts yet, or I, I, at least I haven't heard of any that have gotten contracts yet. And, and companies have such economic power now. If you think of Amazon or Walmart or Starbucks uh, or some of the major players like Gannett, um, that they can stall a union movement for years, um, they can and do sometimes fire organizers, even though it's illegal. Um, and so, um, you know, it's, it's a really, really hard road to hope to actually get to that contract. But, but once you do, then you have protections that the company has to live with. And so, as I said, I support these guys totally. I just I hope that they can get to that ultimate step. John, so great to hear from you. Thank you for calling in and for that perspective. Uh, Bennett, I'm curious about your reaction to that, about uh, you know how, how long a road this is, as John said. Uh, but do you also have a strategy for that? Uh, do you, do, are, are plans in place about how you're going to go about all that? 
Absolutely. So we honestly don't know much of what the road looks ahead for us. Uh, when I had started doing our work, it was just the stores in Buffalo, the three stores in Buffalo that had filed, uh, of which the two, the three stores that have voted yes uh, are in contact negotiations right now. So it'll be exciting to see where that comes in. Uh, but since then, there are now, last I checked, I think 105 Starbucks across the country that have filed to organize, uh, and there are more down the pipe. Uh, so we're not sure how their strategies are going to change as there's more of a waterfall with more with more Starbucks. But I know here in Ann Arbor, we all have each other's back. We had some solidarity days last week, and we know that we have community support for whatever Starbucks tries to push on us. And if they do try and fire any one of us, I know that we all have solidarity for each other and we'll have each other's backs. Bennett Pregler, employee at Starbucks at Jackson and Zeeb in Ann Arbor, organizing the Starbucks Workers United with assistance from the SEIU. Bennett, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Detroit Today. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, tune in tomorrow. You heard Congressman Andy Levin at the beginning of this show talking about his reelection bid and his primary against Representative Haley Stevens, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, another Democrat who is an incumbent running for that same district. Tomorrow, we will talk with uh, Congresswoman Stevens about why she is running for reelection in the 11th Congressional District and what she sees set her apart from Congressman Levin and why she thinks voters should consider her instead. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Detroit Today is produced by me and Sam Corey. Our our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our student producers are Amanda Duran and Chantel Phillips. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Will Sessions. I'm Jake Neer. Thank you so much for listening today.